Common Core Math has brought up a lot of arguments and there have been so many controversial statements about it. We hear parents talk about it all the time, we hear legislators trying to figure out what to do with it, and we even hear state officials trying to figure out, do we want Common Core Math in our state? What is this new math? And is it really new? You can't see me, but I'm making air quotes. And is it really better than the quote unquote old math? Or is it even any different? In today's lesson of the Learning to Love Math podcast, we're going to be talking about these core mathematical practices that are outlined in the National Common Core Standards here in the U.S. No matter what your feelings are about them, I really, really want to encourage you to listen to this whole episode because I truly believe that these core mathematical practices are one of the best things to come out of the Common Core Standards, no matter how it is you feel about them. Because we are not just creating calculators, we are developing minds who can do math, who can really problem solve and think logically and think critically, who can create arguments and defend their reasoning with evidence. And that is exactly what we need when it comes to social studies, history. It's what we need in lawyers and doctors and business people, and honestly, just to have informed, balanced citizens. So I'm so excited for you to dig into today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. And if you haven't already, definitely go and follow Jamie Reinsmith from Making Many Mathematicians because she just has so much gold in her free content. I can't believe she gives it away. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Think about falling in love for a minute. It's a thrilling and exciting adventure for both parties. It's a journey. They're always learning. I want for your students to fall in love with math, and I'd love it if I could help you learn to love math too. When we start from there, our math instruction automatically becomes more engaging, more relevant, more effective, and even more fun. And that's what we're all about here on the Learning to Love Math podcast. Hi, by the way, I'm Brittany. I'm a teacher, tutor, math learning coach, and the creator behind the Teachers Pay Teacher store, Math with Minis. In just two short years, I went from basically being math illiterate to having students make two years worth of games with math in my classroom. With mindset, motivation, masterminding, and a little bit of coaching, we can make math magical for our students. Let's get on to today's episode. Welcome to the Learning to Love Math podcast. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to the Learning to Love Math podcast. My name is Brittany. If this is your first time listening from Math with Minis, and I am so glad that you decided to tune into today's episode because today I'm talking with Jamie Reinsmith from Making Mini Math Petitions, and she has so much to share about, uh, about mathematical practices. And I think it's a really fitting topic for the podcast because honestly, that's something that I've wanted to grow in and the whole thing about this podcast is I recognize I am not a math expert. I consider myself more of a math enthusiast and I love being able to bring experts together. I love being able to connect maybe teachers who are struggling with something or not liking math and getting them to just maybe look forward to it a little bit more, maybe have a more positive mindset around it so they can then pass it on to their students as well. So welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yay. If you went to the Be a Math Person conference, she was actually a speaker. 
And if you did not ever watch it, I'm actually going to link the All Access Pass in the show notes because even if you were to just watch her session, that alone would be worth it for the All Access Pass because it really is that good. And I feel like she just over-delivered. It was like 45 minutes of, of gold that when we go to PD, it's not even always that good. So I just want to say like, seriously, she's so good at what she does. And I would just love to hear, Jamie, what is the origin story behind your TBT store? Like what made you decide to go into that? Why focus on that? Yeah, well, you know, kind of as you mentioned, I... I started off as just like an elementary teacher and I didn't see math as anything special. It was, you know, just another subject I taught in school growing up. I enjoyed it enough, but never saw it as something that like was kind of my specialty. So my first two years of teaching, I just kind of followed the book. I wouldn't even necessarily, you know, maybe even know what I was going to be teaching that day. I'd open up and just work through the lesson in the book and that would be it. And then after those first years of teaching, I got a job in a district that kind of taught me in two different ways. Um, One of them is called the Cognitively Guided Instruction Model, which I'll speak more on in a bit. And then also just number talks. And these two ideas got me really thinking about, you know, my job as a teacher and reconsidering my role in the classroom and the role of the students. And it really just got me excited about math and I could see the excitement in my students as well. I kind of grew more as like math became kind of my identity as a teacher from there. And I mean, that was still like eight years ago. And so I've just continued to grow in that. And, you know, now I'm excited to like reach out and learn more because it just, it sparked this like energy inside of me. So I was at a conference. It actually wasn't a math conference, but a few years ago, and the keynote speaker was talking about how, you know, when she was younger, she really wanted to do a dive into the pool, but she was worried about these, she called them like the dabblers, like the people just sitting on the side and just kind of judging her. And, you know, she was like, they might, you know, they might say I'm not good at it or something. And I think it was her grandma or something was finally just like, who cares about the people who are judging you? Like, just go do what you want to do, go do what you love. And, and it was kind of her way of saying like, that's why she started her teacher Twitter account. And she was like, you know, we all have something to share and it's, you know, kind of our job to go out there, put it out there and help other teachers. And um, so from there I decided, okay, I'm going to start a, um, an Instagram for teaching math just to share what I know, but also to connect with other math teachers and learn from them. And so I started this making many mathematicians Instagram. And from there, a, a teachers pay teachers that as I've mentioned, is kind of small right now, but I'm hoping to grow it. That just, it, my hope was just to kind of connect with others and to share what I have learned from these schools that have trained me in different uh, models of teaching math. I love what you say and think about what teaching math is, because even though that can kind of be intimidating in itself, teaching students how to reason, teaching students how to think, I think it also can leave the pressure off though, because it's not like we have to be the experts. We really don't. We just have to know how to facilitate discussion, how we can draw what students are thinking out of them, how we can help them articulate their reasoning. And again, that takes skill too but you don't have to be a master quote unquote mathematician in the way that we think about it, which is why I'm excited for you to talk about what that is, because that was what intimidated me for the first two years of teaching. You know, I've, I've shared my story before that like I really struggled with computation as a student all through adulthood. And I just had, well, I was a very strong reader and writer. And so I just kind of maneuvered my way through and they're like, well, she has calculator, she'll be fine. But she brought up such a good point, Jamie did, during her session when she said, if you have a calculator and that's all that you do with math, then what is the point of learning math? There's really no point, right? So you actually don't have to be masterful at division. I do believe that we should try to know the content and learn it as much as we can, learn it deeply. But as far as the actual act of solving a arithmetic problem, that's just a part of math. So do you mind sharing, like, what is a mathematician? What is it that we should be striving for as teachers? And what should we be trying to develop in our students? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of answer that question, I looked at the common core, like mathematical principles and I, every single thing in all eight of them was just about reasoning and thinking and using models and explaining. And it was nothing in there just said like, be able to add and subtract and multiply and divide, you know, it's all about deeper things. And, you know, as you mentioned, it was a fifth grader that had come to me when I was teaching him and every single thing was like, well, why do I need to do this? Why do I, you know? And he, because he, he was quick with his facts, but it was like the deeper stuff that he struggled with a bit more. And I, you know, that's what I said to him. I said, you have a phone in your backpack. I know you do. And I know I'm as a calculator and it's, it's not my job just to teach you to calculate because I've, I've done nothing because you can do that on your own with a calculator or with a phone. So, yeah, I think it's very important that we are teaching our students to, you know, conceptually understand things, be able to explain why this works. Our students have so many different strategies that just make so much sense. And because they've, they can come up with them on their own. And a lot of times the, the algorithms are the things that we teach them. If we're kind of directly teaching them, not that those aren't important at as kind of an end goal, but you know, in the moment they, they don't make sense for our students right away. And so it is our job to help them make sense of problems and to understand the reasoning behind what they're doing. I really do think that takes so much of the pressure off. And I think that makes it more universal. Like those are skills that you literally see across every discipline. In social studies, you need to be able to read, interpret, and critically think, and then provide reasoning for your argument. In history and even English, when you're writing, composition is all about presenting your main point, researching it, having a reason for it. Whether or not it's right or wrong doesn't really matter as much as can you actually think through and argue a problem and honestly math is the same way which i know blows the minds of our students parents like when we tell them we actually don't care as much about the answer and that's probably why there's so much of a sometimes i think an adversarial kind of feel between teachers and parents because the parents all they know as students mathematicians was you need to learn your facts you need to memorize how to do this you need to learn the algorithms and I would say those things are important like you guys know I talk a lot about math facts because I really do believe if students don't know them it's going to be so hard to do the rest of it but that's just one small part of it and I think that if you reduce math just computation then we're just creating calculators and that's not really what we need and that's not what the world needs, right? The world is especially the problems that we're going to be facing that we're now facing and that we're going to be facing in the future require students to be critical thinkers as adults. So thank you so much for sharing that. And those common core standards for practice. Do you want to dive in a little more to what those are? I don't think all the teachers. Yeah. So, you know, I know that, you know, people have their own feelings on like common core, the standards for the students, but there's also, they have these mathematical practices where it's like, basically this is what good mathematicians do. And so, I mean, I can read through them, but you know, it's all about, like I said, reasoning, making sense. The first one's making sense of problems and persevere in solving them. And we don't know when we get into the cognitively guided instruction, that's a huge one. Like being able to persevere through a difficult task is something that we need to help our students grow in and help them practice in. Reason abstractly and quantitatively, construct viable arguments and critique the reasoning of others. And so that's where that discussion piece comes in. Model with mathematics. So not just going straight to an algorithm, but again, being able to show it in different ways, using appropriate tools strategically. So I like to have like um, manipulatives available. Um, you know, I, I tell them, you know, you can come to these manipulatives if you want to draw a picture, if you can go straight to numbers, whatever. That's kind of the nice thing about this way of teaching too, is it kind of differentiates right within the way that you're doing it because students can go to a strategy that makes sense to them. And so they can use those tools if needed. But, you know, I don't like to say you have to use this tool because they may be beyond that. Attend to precision, look for and make use of structure, trying to connect different ideas, I think is really important. And again, is a big piece of that, that discussion piece that comes after the individual work. And then look for and express regularity in repeated reasoning. So again, like being able to connect ideas of different students and say, you know, hey, that 
picture matches that number, you know, that um, number sentence or whatever, so that they can kind of see how these, these ideas connect and kind of build up their um, levels of strategies from there. Love that. And I know, I think it's so good that you preface about Common Core, because I think that's another point where we as teachers could probably do better about educating parents. Mm -hmm. Because when the parents see the homework, you know, I think part of it is insecurity. They see it, they don't understand it. And so it's almost coming from a place of hurt. And I think sometimes it's hard for us as teachers to remember like how that feels like when you don't know something and you're supposed to be helping your child. Like that's such a huge thing that we really have to approach from like a heart of service. Like, like maybe having some kind of outreach or something where we help the parents too. I, I mean, I think that could be its own episode. There's so much we can do to support parents. But yeah. I love that you shared that because no matter what you're teaching, no matter what grade you're in, the common core mathematical practices are universal. And like how we just talked about, they're interdisciplinary. Like you need to be able to explain your reasoning, provide arguments for your position. So I think that's just so good. Okay. So I just want to share a couple of quotes that you had just so you can expand on them because not everybody got to see your session and will be able to. So first one, when we think about math, we think about computing. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like what's the difference between computing and problem solving? Yeah. And I think, you know, it kind of goes to what you were saying with the way that a lot of us grew up with math and a lot of our students' parents, that was kind of the end goal was just to be able to get an answer. And, you know, as you mentioned, that's certainly important. We want our students to get the correct answers. And I, I think that's a lot of times where that misunderstanding comes in with parents is they're like, well, what do you mean you don't care about the answer? It's not we don't care about it. It's that we care a lot about how they're getting to that and that they understand their answer. So I think a lot of times teachers who maybe don't feel like math is something that they're, you know, really good at or that they identify with or for our students' parents, it's like math answers, math, just like being able to do the four operations and get an answer. Now, the beauty of the way that the math instruction is moving is that it's about so much more than that. And, you know, you mentioned that we don't necessarily need to be the, the experts. I think one of the most amazing things about this journey has been for me is that I've grown so much in my understanding of math from my students and from the way that it's taught now. Like, you know, I, I, I was able to follow the steps for different things, especially with fractions and, and the four operations with those and long division and all these things. And then once, you know, I was kind of opened up to this new way of looking at it and, and being open to what our students know and what they can bring to it. I was like, oh, this, this is why this works. This is why it works. So, you know, we don't necessarily, you know, maybe need to be the expert in all of it, but I do think we grow a lot from it and we might find ourselves like understanding it a lot more as our students are as well. So yeah, I think it is more, more than computing. It's not that we don't care about the answer. And again, it does come down to explaining that to the parents. And, you know, I always tell my parents when they, when they ask about common core or, you know, why do they need to do this? First thing I say is that I have I have learned so much from the way that it's taught now. And so your student is too. The other thing I'll say to some teachers and, and others, especially that are, you know, questioning this common core, this way of teaching is if I were to take my like sick kid to a doctor and they said, you know, they have whatever diagnosis and this is the most, you know, recent way that we're the, the best way to treat them. I wouldn't say like, that's not the way that you taught kids or sorry that you, you know, helped kids with that disease when I was little, you know, I want them to have the most, you know, updated ways of, of helping them. And I think it should be the same way in education. You know, we shouldn't, we, I, I understand the fear of it for parents, because like you said, they can't help their kids necessarily, but you know, we need to open their eyes that like, this is actually best practices and our students are growing in ways that we never, you know, could have done at their age. 
That is such a good point. I was chuckling, although I have myself muted for sound purposes, but <laughs> yeah, I was chuckling because we would never expect for doctors to go back to like medieval practices with right. our kids, right? Like we would never want that. And I think sometimes it's hard. There's a little bit of ego there about the next generation having better. I'll give a quick little example of this. So I did a residential teacher program, which means, and I do not recommend this to everyone. This was honestly like crazy of me. I was a full-time student and a full-time teacher in a classroom at the same time. Literally like day one, I mean, I had a little bit of like experiential outdoor education, but it's not the same as formal classroom training. And it was the trial by fire. It was a lot. But one thing I learned is that we learn as we go and that whatever we have that's new, like whatever we have that's new, it's going to be okay if it's better for the next generation. Okay. Cause I went to this program. I spent like five or $6,000 out of pocket. I had to save, which was good. And then after I was finished, they offered it for free now to Arizona <laughs> teachers. <laughs> so I did this program and I'm like, okay, this is great. I learned a lot of stuff. I was good. I, I felt good about it. And then they offered it for free. And of course I was like, oh, seriously, you know, at least I wasn't in debt, but I'm honestly happy too, because Arizona has a teacher shortage and we need good teachers who are committed. And so, you know what, if someone can go through and not have debt, that is amazing. But I think it is hard for us to, to do that. Like it's, it's hard for us to realize that others are going to have better than we have now. So I think it's just so good that you shared that. Okay. So you said you don't, we don't have to be experts, which I agree because we learn more together. I think it also makes learning more authentic, honestly, like scientists are always learning too. They're literally learning the whole time. They don't know everything. That's why they're so good at what you do. You said that our job as math teachers is not just to teach students how to do. And again, like think, teaching them how to think, reason, understand why. That can be really intimidating to a new teacher, right? So could you share some practical ways of doing that? Like how does that actually look in practice? I think the number one thing is like opening your eyes to what the students bring into your classroom. I know you've had people on your um, show before about talking about like this student-centered way of educating. And I think that's huge. And, and again, it, it, it is intimidating at first because I think a lot of us, especially from our own education growing up, are used to that. I do, we do, you do model, you know? And so that's kind of what we bring into the classroom with us. But if we open up this idea of like, our students actually are capable of so much more if we just watch and we, you know, we, we have the correct, like the right questions that we need to ask. But if we just like open up to what they can do, the very first thing is like starting instead of like you being up there and, and saying, here's what we're learning today, starting with a task or some sort of a, a problem, a problem solving idea in front of them and just go around and observe like five, eight minutes of just walking around and just seeing how they start to attack that. You'll be blown away. I think just by what they're able to reason with, without being told, here's how to solve it, you know? And so I think a lot of times it is just that difficulty of stepping back and saying, it's okay if I don't tell you how to solve this and telling them that that's okay. Because if they're not used to that structure of teaching, you know, they, a lot of times they'll be like, well, what do you mean? Is this how we did it yesterday? Or is this, what type of problem is it? You know, and they're just not used to it, but saying it's okay. It's okay to just sit here and make sense of it. Take some time to draw a picture. Like I said, use the manipulatives, whatever makes sense to you. We always start off in our classroom when we do like a cognitively guided instruction, a CGI problem or a problem of the day. We do a little kind of routine where I'll say once they've put their name on it and then I'll say, okay, now put, give me two thumbs up. And they all know to put their pencil down, show me two thumbs up. And we point them at ourselves and we say, I can do hard things. And then they show me two number ones and they point them at their neighbors and they say, you can do hard things. And, you know, I think that's so important because they come in if they're not used to this way of just like, 
I'm not capable of doing this. And that definitely holds them back. Teaching them that that they have the this ability and being okay with that yourself, that they can bring more than you may be able to tell them on the spot. So yeah, number one, I think is just being open to what they are able to bring with them. And then the next thing I think is just the discussion piece. Like after they've had time to kind of grapple with that and work on it, you know, it's, it's all about community and it's all about them sharing with each other. And then you kind of moving that discussion in the way that leads towards your learning goal. So again, it's, it doesn't mean like you're not knowing the content or anything, but you're providing the questioning and the correct starting task to get them to lead there. I love that. And I love that you're starting with the mindset and community piece. I think we've talked about that a lot, but I think it's, it's hard to believe because it's so simple, but it's true. And I think that, again, that ego piece of like when students come up with something that I would never have thought of, it's tempting and, and kind of weird to think like, oh, I should know better. I should be the expert, but actually being like, wow, that's amazing. And, and telling them like, I would have never thought of that. That is so clever. Good for you spending the time to work that out and also rewarding that, that behavior specific phrase based on those mathematical practices. I think it's just so good. That's another practical way to, to really develop that. Um, so some other things that you talked, uh, you talked in your session about daily warmups and how, so you just kind of talked about the engaged model. Can you talk about em emphasizing place value and naming numbers? Can you give an example of that? How can teachers do that? Yeah, this kind of started, this idea started when I went to a Greg Tang conference and he was talking about in a lot of other languages, especially like Asian cultures, their number system is literally set up. So you say like the number of tens and then the number of ones or the number of hundreds, you know, so they would read essentially when they, when you would translate 42, it would be like 4102. So they're just constantly getting this idea of, place value. And I, and our number system, our language doesn't work that way. I mean, you hear the four in the 40, but a lot of times students aren't directly connecting that to four tens. And I think place value is like the number one thing that is leading to issues in higher concepts. I think it's easy to say, oh, my student, my students understand place value because they can name the digit in a certain place value or maybe say the value of it. But a lot of it, I think just is able, they're able to get to it through memorization. They, they memorize place values, they know how many zeros they need to tack on to say the value of it. They know to, you know, put those in order for expanded form. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they actually have this deep understanding of it. So I think as teachers, the more that we can bring things back to place value throughout the entire year and not just in this like first unit of the year um, is super important. So, you know, anytime like we're doing an addition three-digit addition problem, they'll say, okay, so I took 375 and I said, okay, so we're, you know, we're here, we're looking at the, the tens place. So we've got, they might be talking about it as seven plus two or whatever. And I'll say, okay, so you have seven tens plus two tens. How many tens do you have? So just constantly bringing it back to place value and then building up that understanding of every time we get 10 more, we move to the next place value. So when we're, you know, talking about the tens, if it's seven plus four, it's, you know, it's not 11, it's 11 tens and 11 tens. What, what is that? You know, have that discussion with them. You know, you can use place value blocks, things like that to show 11 tens is actually a whole nother hundred plus one more 10. So I just think it's something that books a lot of time, like the textbooks will, you know, touch on at the beginning of the year. And then it's like forgotten. And maybe, you know, they'll have a lesson in addition to, to use place value. But I think a lot of it is just so surface level. And I think we need to keep bringing that back because a lot of times, you know, the issues that students are having with like regrouping or multiplying, it's because they really don't have a deep place value understanding. I totally agree. And I think if we look at curriculums, like one thing that's that really helped me is instead of looking at individual lessons and i get it when you're in your first year or two you're just trying to survive so it's hard to do this but the sooner you can start looking from a bird's eye view 
at the vertical and horizontal alignment of the different concepts and curriculum, I think the better it gets. And if you look at, for example, fourth grade, I'm just using visions, for example, because that's what I used the last two years. Uh, place value is like 80% of actually what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is, is kind of ancillary or like a practical application of place value. So multiplication, obviously, uses place value. Division uses place value. Fractions, in a way, uses place value. So it's, you, really have to, you really have to understand that to be able to move on to anything. And I totally agree. I think it's so inherently visual, like manipulatives are really necessary for that. I personally love using money to teach place value because it's engaging, right? Like if students see a $100 bill, and then if you could possibly plan ahead and get like 10 tens and 100 ones, I know that's a lot. But if you can do it, the kids will never forget that lesson because right. if you let them hold a hundred dollar bill and they like look at it with amazement, I think it's, it's just such a cool thing. So a simple thing that we can do to help them out or even just looking at a hundred pennies. And you know, if you can get $10 in pennies and showing them like this is equal to this, I think it starts getting a little firmer grasp. So many things you can do for place value. I love that so much. So we're wrapping up a couple of things I just want you to touch on is teaching concepts through discovery based student centered lessons. Now you mentioned earlier that a lot of teachers are used to the direct instructional model that I do, we do, you do. So I actually have an episode where I talked about this. And you know what's funny is like, I kind of did it begrudgingly because I was like, you know what? New teachers need to know what this is. But then I was like, but I actually want to think about how I teach is closer to the 5E model. You know, I like to throw them something and see like, can they do it? Like maybe they already know this, I don't know. And kind of see where they're going from there. So can you share some practical tips? How can we teach? through a discovery-based student-centered approach instead of just giving direct instruction. Yeah, I like to think about it as like a, I launch, you explore, we discuss, or we debrief. And so I actually had a teacher reach out to me on Instagram um, a couple of weeks ago, and she was preparing for um, an interview lesson. And she was really interested in the CGI model and how to do it. And, you know, it, it was really refreshing to like hear her questions because it brought me back to like what it's like to, to try to transition into this. And it is a difficult idea. She was like, so what part is the lesson part? And it was like the whole thing is the lesson, but it is so we, we're so ingrained in this idea of like, we stand up there and teach and then we practice. So it is kind of flipping that around. We still, we still start with, you know, an intentionally planned task of some sort. So in the CGI model, you know, it's a word problem, typically individually that they're, they're working on. I know there are other ideas, other ways of doing where you're doing more group work. I also listened to a a teacher talking that I loved this idea of like, if a student is stuck doing kind of like a gallery walk. So as they're working, instead of saying, telling them what to do or helping them just say, okay, everyone stand up and walk around the room and just peek. And then they can kind of say, you know, try to make sense of what they're seeing. And I just thought that was a great way to get the community part going and get them to feel a little more comfortable because they may have seen it on someone else's paper, but also not like, you know, so-and-so go tell them what to do. So again, so we're, we're just like launching that. And then a lot of it is just observing for the first few minutes. If they're stuck, I might go over to them and, you know, give them a little questioning or something that'll it'll get them going. But my job right there is very minimal. Before I get them started with it, I do like to read it aloud with them just because especially at second grade, we do have readers of various levels in that. So a lot of times I'll put it up on the board, but with the numbers covered up. And so they can't start like mentally solving that, that just to get them thinking about it and understanding what the story's asking. So then they're working. And then, you know, as I'm walking around, I'm kind of getting an idea of like, who's I might want to show and, you know, where I want to lead that discussion. And so we'll, I'll bring them back together. And that, um, 
you know, that discussion time is a time where, again, it's not just like everyone's speaking about whatever they want to. It is, I am tailoring it to, to what I want them to learn that day. But it is about just making everyone feel heard and making them feel like their strategy is valued. And so I love to start with kind of a student who's maybe got like a picture model or direct model way of showing it with manipulatives or something that they're having to directly model. And then if I can get another student who's done a similar thing, but with numbers, then we can connect those. And that helps our students kind of move towards that less explicit way of showing it. It's a different way of thinking. And it's kind of, it can be scary coming in for sure, because it's just not what we're used to, but it's exciting what you can, what you see your students and what they're able to do it leads to much deeper learning for them. I totally agree. And I would, as you were just saying it, and as I was even thinking about it, I was actually telling Jamie before this that I could absolutely see her on like the PD speaker circuit at conferences. If you think that too, by the way, message her and let her know on Instagram, because I think sometimes the most talented, skilled people are just so humble and modest that they're not willing to accept it, but you totally are. And honestly, I don't know if you have any plans to do any kind of course or coaching, but I can absolutely see you just changing the lives of so many teachers and students by teaching the CGI model and giving teachers like, <clears throat> excuse me, like hands-on examples. Like you gave, gave examples, but like actually walking them through that, how to plan a lesson that way, just putting it out there, you know, whenever Thank you're you. ready. You're <laughs> so welcome. So where can they find you if they want to learn more about this, if they want to ask you specific questions about how they can start implementing that that way, where can they reach you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at making.mini.mathematicians. And so that would probably be the best way. I also have a just Gmail account that's the same thing, but at gmail.com. So you can also email me there. Like I said, you can check out my TPT, but it's minimal right now. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you want to reach out to me on Instagram. Um, I'd love, I love talking more. Like the, the teacher that reached out about the lesson was, you know, she kept asking questions and she was like, thank you so much. And I was like, no, seriously, this like, I'm enjoying this. I love talking about it. It really is a passion of mine. I'm, it's something I really believe in. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Yes, definitely reach out to her. And when you do hyper up and ask her when she's releasing her course or coaching program, because I can <laughs> totally see her doing that. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been so fun. Yeah, I'm so glad.